Welcome to Getting Behind the Desk, the 12-episode podcast series about the past, present, and future of broadcast journalism. Your host, John Dills, a senior mass communications major at Piedmont University, is going to explore topics relating to what broadcast has grown to be and what we can expect in the future. To begin this first episode, I want to open up a can of worms that can be intimidating to talk about, especially with the current political climate. I'm going to leave my opinions out of this specific part of the episode and explain the difference between fake news and misinformation. To put these two definitions into my own words, fake news is news intentionally spread by someone that is false in an effort to reach a goal. Misinformation is different as misinformation unintentionally spreads and often can even be spread by a valid news source. And that's usually because the news source has been misinformed themselves. When this happens, these news organizations are often really fast to correct themselves. That's not to say that proclaimed news organizations cannot spread fake news, though. Social media has really been a menace to traditional media when it comes to fake news and misinformation by even turning people against unbiased and factual news outlets. Social media platforms have helped the spread of fake news through politics and elections, and misinformation specifically relating to the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the biggest questions that needs answering is where do we draw the line of knowing what is fake news and what is misinformation, and how to know when you're being misled by one or the other. welcome a very special guest to Getting Behind the Desk, Mr. Bob Houghton. Mr. Houghton is the president of the Georgia Association of Broadcasters. Mr. Houghton, would you like to share with us some details of your experience in broadcast? Sure. It's, uh, it's coming up on 50 years, so, uh, but, uh, uh, and I actually didn't start like most people when I was in high school or anything like that, but uh, like many people, I, I wanted to be a sportscaster and a play-by-play announcer and so I started out doing high school sports in suburban Chicago and uh, and also I got the opportunity to do college sports at a very high level uh, with DePaul University in Chicago and to, to show you how long ago the, the, the tournament was 40 teams and we qualified and actually beat the ACC champion Virginia in the first round so that was one of the highlights uh, um, I also did uh, American Legion Baseball, went all the way to the World Series. And I bring that up because that's where I also realized, you know, here I was uh, doing a game every day and, and almost living the life of, a, of, a, of an announcer in the, in the Major League Baseball. And it didn't give me the same buzz that I thought it would. And uh, I, there was one rule when you were selling, when you were doing play-by-play, if it was sold, uh, it was on the air, and if it wasn't sold, it wasn't on the air. So I had to learn how to be a salesman, and I kind of learned quickly that I was a better salesman than I was an announcer. So after about five years, I went into uh, the sales and business side of broadcasting. I've had the privilege of working with many great AM radio news stations in Chicago, Minneapolis, Dallas, and here in Atlanta. So um uh, I feel like I know an awful lot about the news business and especially the broadcast news business. And uh, uh, even though I didn't really practice it, uh, I've been associated and sold it for, like I say, four decades. 
Well, you actually went ahead and answered uh, my first question that was what originally made you uh, pursue a career in broadcast. Getting into our topic today of fake news and misinformation, the term fake news was really brought into the spotlight by former President Donald Trump. Fake news and misinformation are two very separate but equally intimidating topics. When anyone has brought up these terms to you as a broadcaster, is it almost scary to think of how the two words fake and news can make an audience feel? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I rarely use them together because uh, especially in the when this conversion was going on four or five, now maybe even six years ago, uh, I, I just absolutely would not even acknowledge that. And when every time you even acknowledge the issue of fake news, you were giving it some credence. So, um, uh, and I, I believe kind of by definition that fake news is it requires some sort of intentional act where uh, misinformation frequently may not be. I know that there's some uh, opposite reactions to both of those things, but I'm, uh, for the purpose of this conversation, I'm looking at fake news as a kind of broadcast terrorism. It's a, it's a negative and it, it shouldn't happen in any form where misinformation in some ways can be much more dangerous because it's more subtle. And we'll spend, I think, hopefully more time talking about misinformation than fake news. Because I think fake news is pretty much a product of uh, one individual in the country that has uh, a large following. With your experience in false news, fake news, and misinformation, have you experienced someone who has been misguided by that falsity, and have you had to help them understand that what they believe to be correct actually turned out to be false? Well, in my current job, I really don't get involved in the day-to-day -day, um, management of people or radio stations or TV stations. So to say if I've been directly involved in, in that where I would have to correct someone, no. Um, however, uh, the office does get a lot of phone calls and, and, and complains about uh, things that they don't agree with. Um, I, I love the fact that, uh, uh, that, that sometimes the same people that complain about one thing are praising me or our industry for something else. So uh, uh, it's a very ideological thing, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. So um, my, my feeling right now is I'm certainly aware of it, but I don't get directly involved in the day-to-day -day management of it. Yeah, and some hot topics in regards to false news and misinformation would definitely be the presidential elections of 2016 as well as 2020. From your experience in that time, was the election something that was concerning for broadcasters in a sense of false news and misinformation? First thing I have to say is, uh, as I mentioned, my roots uh, in broadcasting besides sports was in selling and I sold for a lot of years, and uh, I never thought we could surpass 2016 for political advertising, but we certainly uh, swamped those numbers in 2020. So, so first off, uh, you know, the the situation with broadcasting in the elections is, is both a blessing and a curse, and it brings in money to small stations in rural Georgia and major stations, and of course the networks, and it's a uh, 
So this is a business decision as much as it is a content decision. Me being from rural Georgia, like rural Northeast Georgia more specifically, you see a lot of stations are willing to sell time to people who want to give their opinion, which is, you know, completely fine, but they don't really allow the opinions of the ones they disagree with. And I'm speaking of um, a specific station in mind, but... Uh, Let me just try to clarify something. Um, I don't know if you're talking about uh, regular advertising, uh, but political advertising, if it's a federal candidate, and there's a big significant, if it's a federal candidate, uh, can basically say almost anything they want, including profanity that would not be allowed uh, um, under normal circumstances. So um, there's a big difference if it's if it's an actual qualified candidate at the federal level. That means congressmen, senators, presidents. Um, it does not mean governors, state officials, local mayors, and things like that. So uh, I'm painting with a broad brush, and then I'm leaving out an even broader brush. But uh, um, but if it's just a regular advertising, I, I really can't comment on what an owner takes or doesn't take. Um, but I would suggest that they should be careful. Misinformation has been really concerning during the COVID-19 pandemic. The idea that COVID is completely a hoax was and still is to be something to be taken seriously. The vaccine has also been a very touchy subject, even to the belief that microchips were inside of the needle used for the shot. What have broadcasters been able to do to help stop the spread of falsities like these? Well, I'd like to think that most of those things that you're talking about aren't even, we haven't even gotten into the difference between national and uh, and, and local uh, news and and information. But uh, uh, I'm just going to say that I, I'd like to believe that that a vast majority, a high percentage, and a 90 percentile of the, the of the topics that you just talked about are on the internet. Um, it, there might be some talk shows that get to an extreme on one side or the other, but in general, uh, broadcasters um, I think are more responsible than that. E- even even in the smallest of towns or in the uh, the extreme situation, uh, we just have to try uh, as hard as we can to, to, to go to the rules, the basic rules of journalism, which is fact generated and uh, which then might open up another subject here. But uh, um, uh, I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not naive, but the amount of radio stations that would risk their license, that would, that would to, to run knowingly false information just isn't going to happen. So uh, I, I really believe that the, the overreaching view of your, of your question, that's mainly on the internet. It's terrible. It's frightening. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't leak into, but it's usually some way trying to defend um, the, uh, the, the situation of, uh, of because right now, Unlike the immediate the, the the lack of immediate response to a wild statement about even national defense isn't going to generate uh, personal health 
issues that could kill people uh, like the misinformation with COVID. And, uh, and, and that is just, you know, I, I'd like to think that if there is such a thing as a bad broadcaster, even the worst of a broadcaster would be aware of that. And, and I think there would be peer pressure. I think there would be somebody um, uh, in the, that would, would stop that. And, and I would never tolerate that or try to defend that. Since misinformation and false news, these are all things that are happening on social media, but they're also happening uh, for misinformation on broadcast. What is something that broadcasters can do besides just reporting what is true to help slow down that misinformation, in your opinion? Well, uh, we actually had a little bit of a conversation before uh, this podcast began. Uh, uh, I'm going to answer that question, I hope. But, um, you know, basically, uh, when this misinformation started growing, and I still, for the most part, believe this to be true, um, the, the misinformation is being done uh, at national networks, at, at, at in from Washington to New York and from LA to San Francisco based broadcast or based uh, organizations. So uh, I just don't believe that you're going to turn on the major stations in Atlanta or the major television stations in the six television markets in our state and, and get a, a message that, that is untrue, knowingly untrue. Um, what we started to talk about earlier is Broadcast journalism, or journalism rather, it's print journalism, radio, television, is a regulated, we, we are regulated and we have obligations. And we are taught in journalism school to tell the difference between fact and opinion. And uh, what I have seen drifting, and I use the newspaper term here, but, but just because it's a little bit easier to explain, the editorial page is different than the front page. And in broadcast, talk radio uh, is different than the newscast that, that might interrupt talk radio at the top or bottom of the hour. Um, I just don't think you'll hear uh, opinions in the news on a major television station in any, any of our markets in the state. So if there is national misinformation, what could broadcasters do to go back and fix that misinformation? Well, and, and let me just point out there is one problem. Part of the problem is the networks uh, that are broadcasting out of Washington, New York, Los Angeles. And every one of my stations carries national network news. And that's where some things like that can uh, can can come out on a station. So, um uh, and there isn't anything we can do for the most part to, to stop that unless it's just a flagrant misinformation. But, uh, but in, in general, uh, we try to practice what you might have learned in the first day of journalism school about a news story. Um, it has to be fact-based. In the old days, you used to have, to have two, uh, two, two uh, uh, core uh, verifications of the story before you ran with it. I think people in, 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 the, in, in current terms, the internet is not one of those uh, uh, 
uh, one of those valid uh, uh, verifications of a story. So um, if you're following the rules that, that we were taught, uh, certainly when I was in school, and I think are still being taught, according to what you and I just talked about earlier, um, you, you have to verify your information from two sources. You have to, you have to um, be quite prepared to, that if you learn something to do, a, the newspapers again would call it retraction. But uh, so if you're just following the basic tenets of, you know, what you learned in, in journalism school, there won't be misinformation. That answers all my questions for you. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast, Getting Behind the Desk. My pleasure. Uh, we need more uh, young journalists getting in. And if I may say, uh, uh, the, the very medium that uh, you're per- that we are participating right now, podcast, uh, is another uh, very interesting source of uh, information and misinformation. The, the, the rules aren't the same in podcasts, and uh, that is another area, but it's a growing phenomenon. It's the, for the most part, it's still an audio. I'm a radio guy, and I believe in the magic of spoken word, and I congratulate you for doing this podcast. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for listening to Getting Behind the Desk with John Dills. Look for a new episode each week highlighting different perspectives of broadcast journalism from the past, present, or future.